Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello, a quick advert before the show. My book, I'm a Joke and So Are You, is out now in bookshops and also I will be touring around the UK. In fact, I am touring around the UK at the moment every single day until the 17th of December, so I may well be coming to a town near you. Yes, make sure you do pick up a copy of Robin's book if you haven't already. And Robin is uh, still on tour of lots of bookshops around the country uh, talking about the book, so you can go to robinintz.com to get all those dates. And the big launch is on November 1st at King's Place with Robin and Josie and Grace Petrie and Stuart Lee and Philippa Perry. That is currently sold out, but there may be a few returns on the day, uh, on the Thursday. So give King's Place a call uh, if you want to come down. There might be some return tickets for that. And if you can't get along to that, then obviously there are four nights of Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People at King's Place. December 14, 15, 19 and 20, our annual traditional celebration. Hosted by Robin, lots of guests, Helen Chersky, Josie, Mark Mead Dovnik, Adam Rutherford, Dallas Campbell, Monica Grady, lots of people there. Check those dates out at cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons thank you for your support on patreon as usual that enables us to keep making the show and funding the blog network thanks for everyone who's been plugging uh the posts on there it's greatly appreciated review book shambles on apple podcasts five star ratings on there really do help us out as well And now this is part two of our Halloween episodes. Last week was Jeremy Dyson at the Ilkley Literature Festival. And today it's Robin chatting to Anna Savory with Natalie Haynes playing the role of Josie Long this week. Enjoy. And then, of course, everything changed. Videos became more of a thing. And so it became sort of indie art house, banana cakey kind of place. Yeah, that is a nice, well done, gentrification. You've made the world nicer. Less porn, more banana cake. Could Welcome to uh, Josie and Robin's book shambles. Uh, today's slogan is uh, less porn, more banana cake. <laughs> and uh, that is from today. The part of Josie Long is to be played by Natalie Hayes. Hello, Robin. Um, anyway, welcome to our Halloween special. And... Uh, uh, we are joined by Anna Savory, who was on a kind of other Halloween-ish one we did. We did yeah. a horror special a while ago from the Latitude Festival. And uh, if you didn't listen to it, part of the, the fascinating... The first time that I met Anna was... It was at the Folk Horror Night, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, Black Deccan's yeah, folk, folk Horror Cinema Club. What were they showing yeah. that night? I can't remember that, what it was. You can't... Oh, it was The Never Rides Out. Of course it was. Yeah, because I'd and watched could... it immediately before. Yeah. I always make that mistake to make sure I'm up to date <laughs> yes. with the film that I'm going to a screening of. I watch it beforehand. So you've done your homework. Yeah. yeah. Which has the beautiful Paul Eddington in it. Yeah. My favourite Quaker. That's another of our catch, catch uh, less porn, more banana cake, yes. and my favourite Quaker. He, he, I've been talking about him in the in the show that I'm touring at the moment, just because that beautiful um, interview he did with Jeremy Isaacs, the last interview he did, where he was he was very visibly ill by that point, mm. and uh, he was asked how he would like to be remembered, and he said he didn't do too much harm. That's how I'd like to be remembered. I think so many people do so much harm, and I'd like to be remembered. So he didn't do too much harm. No, oh, that's oh, Quakers that's for you. See. Yeah, beautiful. See, I grew up in Quaker country, so I'm accustomed to such loveliness. <laughs> Love Quakers. Yeah, Love oh, me too. Unitarians and Quakers. Yeah. They, they, they vie for the top in my chart. Yeah. So, um, 
Actually, that's Paul Eddington is a lovely bit where people are always surprised when they see a uh, a comedy. You know, someone they've got to know from a sitcom when they see Paul Eddington. You know, there he is playing yeah. one of the, the the human beings in peril and Devil Rides Out. And another one we were talking about before we start recording because you're doing a horror season with your flatmates at the moment. Yes, aren't you? I am. It's glorious. Night of the Demon. Yep. Which is uh, an Tremendous. amazing, based on casting the runes, I think it is, the Mar James That's story. right. Yes, that's right. Mm, I yeah. think it is that. Yeah. And that has a lovely sitcom thing, which is the, uh, and I'm sure we talked about this on this before, but I only, it was my wife who pointed it out two, week, two months ago, which is the person who says, it's coming, it's in the trees, uh, which is also used in, in Kate Bush's song Hounds of Love, is Brian Wilde from TV's Porridge. <laughs> and again, you kind of go, hang on a minute. So he, he plays a man who's gone quite insane from seeing the demon and throws himself out the window. But then, come on, Fletch, there's a demon coming. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, Anna, first of all, let me let's find out what horror have you been uh, sharing with your flatmates so far. Well, we've I've just been I've been starting them off very steadily. One of them had never seen a horror film before ever. Can you conceive of it? Wow. Yeah. How? Never. How old are they? They've Who do you live they're with? They're in their late twenties. That's ridiculous. I thought it was going to be one of those Amish people who goes on what they call the yeah. devil's playground or whatever. You know, when they have that that year yeah. where they're allowed out before they go. The big yes. world was scary. Yes. Give me a hammer and nails. I'm back again, Dad. <laughs> From the Midwest, just come over. Um, yeah, so I've been I've been starting that gently, and we did we did Wicker Man, mm. um, which oh, just every time I see it is a real bloody masterclass, isn't it? And my main takeaway from it was I've got my Halloween costume for this year. I'm going to be Christopher Lee as the goddess. Oh, Because nice. the good. hair's already you there. You have already got the hair, yeah. Just, a, you know, some sprigs and purple yes. dress. No, oh, very I, good effort. When I realised that, I was like, yeah, I've nailed it. Just yeah. need someone to invite me to a Halloween party. And in 40 years' time, you can be Christopher Lee as Saruman if you yes. keep the same haircut. Fact, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to do from here on in Christopher just Lee Christopher based Lee every year. Every yeah. year. Yeah, it's, like, it's surprising how bit. often he has the hair of Cher in a film. <laughs> it is surprising how often he has the hair of Cher. It's one or other era of Cher, routinely worn by Christopher Well, Lee. I'm always fascinated, because I was fascinated by his hair from... There used to be an <laughs> argument with my dad about whether he had a toupee or not. Uh, and uh, I can't remember who's... Uh, I've talked about this many times on the podcast. I'm, I'm obsessed with hair pieces. It's always been something I've been intrigued with from the age of nine years old when I saw Bernard Hepton's gauze when he played... when he was in Secret Army. And um, Christopher Lee apparently only came off once when uh, his horse reared up making the far pavilions and, and, and the piece came off and then he fled immediately to have it re-glued. OK. Um, but uh, the only time he has re- his real head, I think is in The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, the Billy Wilder film. Oh, yeah, good fact. Where apparently he went in with the, with the, the piece, as usual. Very good piece. And uh, when he came out, his agent or someone else said, Christopher, take it off, go back in. Go back in. And then he played Mycroft Holmes in that. But it's, it's an interesting Wicker Man. I'd like to know, because I'd like to work out what it is about that film. Because I saw a, um, years ago, at the, uh, is it Dead... Dead Before Dawn or Dead by Dawn, the, the Edinburgh um, horror movie. They they had the guy who wrote the Inside the Wicker Man book. Mm. Um, when someone said, why do you think uh, Christopher Lee considers the Wicker Man to be his favourite film he's ever made? And he went, well, I wouldn't really uh, you know, worry too much about what Christopher Lee says because uh, also, of course, uh, Christopher Lee said uh, his other favourite film was uh, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. And I was like, yeah, it's a great film. 
Uh, I'm sorry, I now I won't be able to buy your book. So if you think Gremlins <laughs> 2, the new batch, which is, you know, the Godfather part two in that genre, it is better than the original. It's I a fantastic... I can't watch the original. Have we never had this conversation? I find it so stressful that they make such a mess and someone's got to clear it up and it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah. so all I can think of is the people who are being paid by the hour to clean up after them. And I'm like, it is a simple set of instructions which you have simply <laughs> disregarded for no reason except mess. That's it. And it genuinely upsets me. It's like I can't watch fast over the length of an episode of Frasier. If it's more than 23 minutes, I can't cope with fast. It makes me feel like I'm going to have to cry. Oh, yeah, I the can't watch Faulty episode of Faulty Tower. Yeah, I'm exactly I the same. I cannot watch it. I have to have it's a big jumper that I can eventually hide in and look like Jonathan Miller playing an owl. Yeah, yeah. no, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And Gremlins is, it absolutely falls foul of my, please, will you stop making a mess? Someone's got to clear that up. Yeah, no, I could, and you Ooh. have a very Christmassy house, so you could see right. the disaster of that. So, Anna, what do you think? I mean, I mean, Wicker Man is... Uh, I, I don't know what age I was when I, I was probably about eighteen when I first saw. It might have even been something like when 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 it was shown uh, as as part of the the movie drone series or something some, something similar. And I'd seen you know from the age of eight in in Alan Frank's uh, horror movies book there is the image of Edward Woodward looking at a hand that has been turned into a candle. So you've already made a film in your head, mm. and it's not the film that you then see. Mm. Yeah, hugely actually. That's really interesting. So yeah. what do you think? What do you? What, what is it that draws you into that film? To the Wicker Man, I just think it's. You know what actually really surprised me the first time I saw it. I think I must have been about mm, fourteen, fifteen. Is that the first? And actually throughout it, for the first sort of five minutes, and then at various points, it could be an Ivor Cutler sketch. And it's not just the accents, it's those little sort of quirks of language and that back and forth where Edward Woodward's in the boat and, you know, when he first arrives and people are on the shore and he's, uh, I can't do a Scottish accent, but he's talking about sort of throwing things out and pulling him in. And it, it's so, it's funny. So much of it is so, it beautifully navigates between being very funny and very beautiful. So did you terrifying. watch the version which has the sequence before he leaves the mainland? Because, of course, the, the, the version, the, the cut version, starts off with him actually landing, as far as I remember, whereas the, 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 the fuller version has another policeman kind of mocking him, knowing he's this virginal um, policeman. Yeah, I'm trying to... So the one I watched at the weekend was um, was cut. I'm trying to... Did you, did you come and see the Black Decagon Folk Horror Cinema viewing of Wicker Man? No, I wouldn't. <gasps> I would love oh, to have done. God. It really sounds like you would have. It was really <laughs> glorious, and it was it was double bill as as originally screened with uh, Don't Look Now. Brilliant. And at the end, they had a guy. Um, I wish I could remember his name. Um, who who'd assembled the music? Who'd like released the? Oh, Johnny Trunk. Yeah. Was and, it? Yeah. And he bought. Uh, he bought. It was like a piece of reliquary. He bought a tiny bit of the Wicker Man with him. No way. And we all passed it round and touched it like a, like a saint's thigh yeah, bone. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, so good. What is it? That's interesting. Don't look now. There is something about the stories of Daphne du Maurier. You know, there's certain mm. authors that don't translate to the cinema. She that are really very, does very know. hard. Yeah. Her work is, I mean, don't look now. The, the short story, I think, is, is it, it's not quite up to a novella, is it? It is a short story. It is a short story, yeah. yeah. Um, is a remarkable and disturbing piece of yes. work. And, of course, The Birds, I mean, yeah. is just an extraordinary piece of writing and it's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking. And you're right, she really does transfer and obviously and Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that that's... Has there been a really good version of My Cousin Rachel? I really like My Cousin Rachel, but I feel like there maybe hasn't... Was the I one think... with Geraldine Chaplin in the early 80s that was a TV series, possibly? That seems plausible. I just like that line, she has done for me at last, Rachel, my torment. It's like, I wish I'd ever <laughs> written that sentence. 
other than to quote Daphne de Maurier, then I've obviously done it quite often. But. <laughs> <laughs> but she is, I mean, yeah, Don't Look Now is a film that when you first see that on the big screen, I, I think most of Nick Rogue's 70s stuff yeah, is yeah. like Man Who Fell to Earth, which is still 20 minutes too long. I, I really thought it wasn't going to be the last time Robin? I watched what it. Isn't? Uh, I'm just watching it. And uh, the one about the, we always return to this, but the one where the bloke gets stuck in the telephone box and then is wheeled away and taken to the middle of a mountain where everyone's mm. dead inside. That's not 20 minutes too long because it's only about 28 minutes long. Okay. And eight minutes, it just wouldn't work. But apart from that, you're entirely right. Yeah, well, it's, it's rare. It is really rare. And I have ever thought that a Woody Allen film was 20 minutes too long and they're only ever 90 minutes long. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, really, this is the only life I have. And earlier this year, I wrote a bit of, I translated a bit of Aristophanes for a production of Ecclesia Zuzai, um, the women in the assembly or the assembly women. Um, and uh, they sent back the thing after I'd sent it in and they were like, is it all right if we cut this or this or this? And I, of all people... I cannot go. No, I demand that you respect mm. my work. It's like, no, do what you want. Take the scissors to it. Make it as short as you can. Bring it in in five minutes. I've, I absolutely stood by it. I am no hypocrite when it comes to this. That's what the book, the book that I've just done was exactly to say the first draft was twice as long as it was meant to be. I knew it had to be cut and I knew it had to be totally rewritten because it was absolute nonsense. But at the time, when I finished, I thought, is that long enough? 288 yeah, yeah. pages and then I went of course it is because it's always at about 220 pages I start to go it's time to move on to another book mm. so you're quite right the hypocrisy of um... you've got to just put it aside haven't you and say yeah just cut it just cut it just cut it so go, back on Wicker Man <laughs> sorry the, no no it's my fault I did, I did that no, I, I should explain to the listeners that I've had a lot of sugar and I'm on a perpetual tour that literally doesn't stop until December the 19th so I'm going through quite a manic phase so I apologise for any interruptions luckily um, I'm here to help calm you down wait a second yeah <laughs> a woman entirely somebody runs marathons at while giving blood as anyone who follows you on Facebook knows about <laughs> sorry um, so what were your so, what were your flatmates' reactions sorry, to Wicker Man? Yeah. Um, well, one of them didn't think it was a horror movie, which was what did they think it was? A film. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it is also that. Yeah, I think I don't know. I think she had in her head a completely different, perhaps late nineties concept of what of it what was going to. I should have shown her the should have shown the Nicolas Cage one. Yeah. Um, but the other one loved it. Really loved it. Yeah. And thought it was very beautiful and I was I was pleased. But then so what else have I been showing? But them? is you're right, is it a horror film? I mean, this is the thing that horror is such a broad genre. And that now we have, you know, a lot of very aggressive kind of but actually, you know, the gothic, the haunting, you know, mm-hmm. Jeremy Dyson who we, who we talked to last week, you know, wrote a beautiful book all about the kind of the haunted screen, the, the yeah. tradition mm-hmm. of, the, of of that form of supernatural film. And in the same way, you know, the Wicker Man, I can see how you would not think it's a it doesn't have that you know, there's a horrific climax in the same way as there is in many thrillers. Mm. Yeah, you're right. No, I completely agree with you. I spent a really long time thinking I didn't like horror anymore because for a really long time it was just torture porn, mm. and I loathe torture porn. Just hate it. Although I did spend, and I I did only take this job so I would be able to say this afterwards. I did once spend a week watching torture porn for Radio Three. Um, <laughs> it's just such a cherishable experience, and. Um, I, I still hated it at the end of it. And I just, I thought, oh no, I just don't like horror anymore. And as this kind of, as there's been this gradual resurgence of of spookiness yeah. and less, would you rather have your leg chopped off or poked in the mm. eye? Would you rather be in the freezer or on the sun? Neither. I'm already bored. Um, I, I choose neither. I'm so happy that this kind of, the uncanny is coming back into horror. I really missed it. I Me realize. too. Hugely. And this is, yeah. uh, when I talk to people and say like, I'm a, yeah, I'm a spooky comedian, I'm a horror comedian, or I'm a big horror fan. Mm. That I so often have to kind of... It comes with this caveat of, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but not, not this. One. Yeah. Yeah, not what you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, 
No, I think I find that really interesting. I wonder how long it'll take before we kind of recalibrate. Because yeah. it feels like we're on our way. Yeah, reckon, yeah. With the new haunting of Hill House and things like that, we're yes. getting a we're moving back towards that kind of horror quite a lot. I, I haven't hope. seen it yet. It's I my favorite, it yet one of my favorite books ever. That's great. Because Shirley Jackson is oh, great. She is great. Yeah. Yeah. She they 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 reissued them what, a couple of years ago with mm. introductions and I think the haunting of Hill oh, House. Oh, did they? So, yeah, I think Ooh. the. Uh, um, I would really, yes. Yeah, so go and have a look. To the, as it was book shambles, we should mention that. Yes, yeah, Shirley Jackson's work is is, is fascinating. And the um, uh, I was going to say Mark Fisher's final book, the last book that he wrote was, uh, which I, I can't remember if it's called The Weird and the Eerie, but Trent will look it up on the uh, computer. But Mark Fisher, who was a, a wonderful culture, I mean, his, his previous book had fascinating links to kind of things like Sapphire and Steel, oh, and the way that he would then reflect done. on society and stuff. And I, 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 sadly, um, Mark Fisher, I, I believe. Uh, I think he, he he took his own life last year, and he, he, he was he was such an interesting writer and a real loss to that kind of you know it's such a small you know certain presses like repeater books and stuff yes. bring out the, I don't know how many people read them but they're so often fascinating treaties on and I think it, I think it was the weird and the, and the eerie I'll, I'll I'll double check but yeah. It's it's uh it's a very interesting you know looking at from Freud you know through all the kind of different weird and uncanny books, um so you were going to yeah. go for your next one sorry right what we have done perhaps oh uh, the correct. Trent is yes that is correct <laughs> yeah. thank you Hal so do look up Mark Fisher's work he, he was a very interesting writer pertinently last night we did to the Devil a Daughter, uh, which I don't care for discuss. <laughs> Now that's now we should mention for those who don't know who didn't hear the previous one you have this intriguing Dennis Wheatley link. Yes. The curse of Dennis Wheatley is upon you. <laughs> God, can it we is. just can we just have a just so they know roughly what what so, what's the background story? Yeah, so I inherited a huge collection of books of sort of about 4 4 or 5 years ago. And uh, I was really excited at first because everyone, what wouldn't you love about right. 2,000 books that now belong to you? Um, and then as I went through them, I started uncovering this frontispiece in a lot of them, which, uh, oh, it's a, it's a harrowing frontispiece to find. <laughs> because, yeah, so, and, and little by little, I found this frontispiece and it's, it's a plate and it has a, a Oc Libris Dennis Wheatley up the top and... Um, and it just has the most occult picture you've ever seen in your life. Okay. Um, and it's got a picture. It's it's the devil and and Adam. Um, but recently, maybe I should come to this in due course. There's more of a backstory to that frontispiece that was told to me. It's really interesting. Um, but yeah, a really spooky, spooky frontispiece. And um, that I can't. I, they sort of burnt a hole through my family. So my grandmother took in a dying bookseller that she kind of met in the shadow of the local cathedral and said, come and come and live with me. Had You're... she not read other folk stories? I think... OK, I'm just checking. Now, I, she was the kind of person who led a completely normal life up until sort of 70 and then when, yeah, I've only got a few decades left. Yeah. Weird, What's the worst that can happen? Weird shit. I'm going to devote myself to really insane shit. So she invited loads of people to come and live with her and he was one of them. Um... Yeah, and he bought this huge library of books, and then he died in the manner of dying booksellers. Mm. And then she got it, and then within about a year she died. And then she left them to my grandfather, who within about a year died, left them to my father, who within about a year died. And then they came to me. And so I was so far still going. So far still going. I used to say on stage, I've had them for under a year, and now I can't because I've had them for about four, and I'm fine. Um, yeah, but so you didn't know? Because sorry, because I interrupted because I thought. You knew right from the outset that they were Dennis Wheelies. I hadn't realised that when no. you first got them, 
Yeah, oh, I uncovered. that's a much better reveal at the end of episode I, uh, one. Exactly, yeah, when you see the frontispiece. And so did the dying bookseller buy them from Wheatley or had he inherited well, them? Well, I had no clue. It was a complete mystery to me. And I did a show that was sort of based loosely around it, um, but also lots of comedy from my own life. And then as a result of that show, I was, um, oh, you'd have loved it. It was, it was the most Wheatley-esque scenario I've had in my real life. I was at the Garrick Club and there were... And Already was, the Garrick <laughs> Club were appalled. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, these, these men were swanning around with, with sherries and cigars. And one of them came up to me and said, I'd like to, I'd, do you believe in the power of dark? I'd like to come and talk to you in a, in a room. Come with me to this room. And I, wow, you should always say <laughs> no when that happens. <laughs> well, um, and off I went and, you know, it was the best of all worlds in that we just talked about the occult. Um, but he you is... You either. <laughs> <laughs> he um, was a, is a Dennis Wheatley fanatic and he'd found that I had this collection. Um, and he was like, oh, your, your, your stand-up's very entertaining, but I want to set you straight on a does. few different things. I mean, of course he does. <laughs> Oh, the, while this was happening, I was very aware that if this were a Wheatley novel, I, you know, yeah. in a few pages I'd be strapped to oh, a sacrificial yeah. altar and Charles Gray would be there with a crooked knife. I was very aware of being a young woman in a, <laughs> in a club, club full of women really... Yeah, yeah, where just for the day I was, I was being allowed in. You um, can see the policeman, we've never allowed women. <laughs> yeah, so so she can't have been uh, here. What do you say her name was? No, 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 no. Exactly. Christ. Just um, one long stray hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody standing in front of it. Nothing. Yes. Oh, I'm afraid that was one of Christopher Lee's wigs <laughs> that was left here earlier on. <laughs> but he, yeah, he just had such arcane knowledge. This is what I'm coming up against more and more, is that Wheatley fans really know everything there is to know about Dennis Wheatley. Um, and he told me that the Wheatley's entire private library had gone on sale after his death. You know, so I think it went up for auction in '77. Um, and that in actual fact, I've been swanning around saying I own Dennis Wheatley's library, and I own about a tenth of it. Okay. And that there's loads of it. There were like forty thousand books or something insane, um, and they're all in the hands of different private collectors. And I don't know whether those private collectors have found themselves cursed. So when you all get together at some point, yeah. Who knows? Well, I mean, when, that might be the end of the yeah. world. Who knows what will happen the then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, and he also explained to me that there's an extra layer of symbolism in this frontispiece that I've been I've been standing up on stage and going, look, there's the devil. Doesn't he look like Robert Webb? And um, God, he does though. <laughs> and he said that. Um, so have you? Have either of you heard about it's like a guy called Gordon? Let me get his name right. Gordon Eric Gordon Tombs. Gordon Tombs rings a bell, but not that yeah. might just be because any name with Tombs, Tombs. Mm. Mike Tombs, I think he wrote some possible. Titan books about. About European it might be pronounced cinema. might be pronounced Tombi, but I'm pronouncing it Tombs. But yeah, um, so he was like, "That's not the devil." Well, it is the devil, but it's also Gordon Eric, um, and he was this guy that Dennis Wheatley met when Dennis Wheatley was about nineteen. Um, and for, for him saying it's, it's not the devil, it's Gordon, I think Gordon probably was the devil. OK. Um, and he's, this, he's just this sort of a louche con man that Dennis Wheatley takes up with, um, who's like a finishing school for Dennis. And so Dennis Wheatley up until that point had been reading like adventure thrillers and, and Three Musketeers and things. And this guy swans in and says, well, have you tried, have you tried Proust? And, and introduces him to literature and languages and, and uh, comparative religion. And it's kind of the making of him. And 
he sort of Gordon met a really sticky end because he was a con man and uh, someone that was involved, one a business deal went wrong basically and he was he I think he was shot and then dumped. Um, oh, I don't want to digress too much, but they his body was missing for a year and then his father and his mistress had a prophetic dream about where he was buried. Okay. And then they went and found his body. Yeah, or they did it. Have you yeah. not seen they did it. She wrote? Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what did we do when we were drunk last year? Oh, we murdered my son. Hang on, I'm having a prophetic dream. <laughs> Except I think the guy, the business deal, I think his name was Bill Dye, the guy he'd, done, he'd been working this con with was arrested for it. Dennis Wheatley fell under suspicion and wrote this a huge essay on why he couldn't possibly have done it. Then he definitely Which did also it. Yeah, seems come on. like this is Perry Mason territory then. Well I mean well what are we do, what are we thinking here? Is everyone together kills Gordon? Yeah. Oh like, Agatha Christie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Agatha yeah. Christie style. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean there's a hundred percent a play in it. It's it's a really interesting chapter in Dennis Wheatley's life, but he never forgets this guy who who sort of changes the trajectory of, of where he's going as a person and an author. And so when, uh, in the 20s, he gets this book plate drawn up and he's like, I want me to be this sort of, uh, uh, this student and I want that bloke that I was a bit in love with who I might have killed uh, to be <laughs> to be the, the satanic figure, the tempter, and also this source of knowledge. Um, and I'm just absolutely fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so he gets this drawn up in the 20s, this frontispiece, and then it goes in every book he buys mm-hmm. the rest of his life. So that's uh-huh. why there are so many. And it, I mean, it sort of ruins my... Cursed stick a little bit, well, but it's no, also but it's so the good. Plot for your play, so right, exactly, yeah. What's not the plot? Like? <laughs> the plot of the play is sorted. I'm a little bit shocked that you think it's shocking to have forty thousand books. As Trent <laughs> knows from the fact that I managed to get rid of a thousand books that we filmed, and it's made no difference whatsoever to the appearance of my house. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Uh, the um, but the um, that's so you got some of the quite benign books though, didn't you? You got I things did. like Barbara Cartland, I got the Barbara Cartland books with pictures of cats, not yeah. not demonic cats or Egyptian just the cats, regular just cats. Sense of doom, just fun cats that have been blown dried and look fantastic. Yeah, okay, nice great. stuff, really good stuff. I lo- I love the Barbara Cartland because there's a note from uh, Barbara to Dennis. That, that is, is a surprising sentence. Like, I know, isn't it? And yeah. it says something like, thank you for the... I was very interested in the literature you sent me. Hello. Oh, hello, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you up to, Barbara? Yeah. What was really in that royal jelly she was eating? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, th- yeah, that is... I, I, love, I mean, it's such a great... Such a fascinating story that, that you know the, the way you you were saying. So you just seemed because I've I've read a couple of his novels and you know culturally they're difficult because oh, you know you go I wasn't <laughs> expecting the racism so early. Mm. Uh, in fact, I think the devil rides out almost oh. within the first page because I was going to read out from it when we did that thing and I went oh no yeah, that one not. like like yep. certain you know old annuals but. To the devil and daughter, you don't like to the devil and daughter. I'm not fond. I actually I don't mind the book. I think the book's. Oh, yeah, racist. I want to talk to you a lot about because I've also been sent a file by that same guy, the guy that took me into a room at the Garrick. Um, this is good. There's a paper trail. Yeah. As you were. <laughs> this is what worries me, though, because now we're connected in the story. I do see that. And, and there's, yeah. it's not, I, yeah. I did Jeremy Vine's uh, Channel 5 show the other day, and I was, I was sat next to Bill Browder, who is a guy who is quite high up, apparently, on Vladimir Putin's I Want This Person Assassinated yes, list. Yes, that's right. And uh, it was a very strange thing. So it was one of those very typical daytime interviews where Bill Browder told the story of why he's ended up in that position. He told the story about the fact that his friend was tortured to death and, and, and killed and all of the... And so he ends that and he goes, and that's why, you know, I'm not going to stop. 
talking about this is because my friend, you know, was was murdered. And then Jeremy Vine turns to me and goes, Robin, you've got a book out. <laughs> and you go, Bly, hang on. But, but, Tonal lurch. But I did find that from that point onwards for the rest of that week, like when, when I was on the on the train afterwards, I went, hang on a minute, I don't remember opening this packet of biscuits. <laughs> and then I was like, kind of going, mm, these Jaffa cakes, do they taste of polonium? I'm just not sure. <laughs> but so now we're all involved. When we see the negative or the photograph of ourselves, we go, hang on a minute, yeah. it appears there's a lightning rod that goes straight through me. <laughs> um, so anyway, yes. That's what I said of a picture of us with a goat next to us but I in fact have this is an unlikely but nonetheless book related anecdote I in fact have a very cool drawing of me talking um, on stage um, with a goat uh, a good, not at all ominous looking goat next to me because it was drawn by Chris Riddell um, at an oh. event and I was talking about the original uh, meaning of the word tragoidos, tragedy, uh, which means goat song um, and so he's uh, subtitled it Natalie Talks About Goat Songs and then he's drawn me with a goat um, people were like, oh is that you on tour? Yeah, I don't actually have the goat, though. The goat is imaginary. <laughs> Me plus my goat on top. Oh, but... you travelling with a goat is a beautiful image. Isn't it, though? I'd be I like, think you should Heidi. adopt it. Yeah, I just do it. I'm I, once, I once went on a goat husbandry course. Okay. Yeah, it was great. You couldn't get a regular boyfriend. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> That's really is. I can get a regular boyfriend, but I choose the goats. <laughs> because it, that it, way, better jumpers, more cheese. <laughs> I hadn't realised goats are really easy to kill. That was the main what? thing I took away. It's, right, they're hard I'm, to keep I'm alive. Like, well, you've already got us involved in this bloody curse. <laughs> and now you're suggesting... The... I want to talk about goat yeah. killing, guys. I... <laughs> but accidentally, they they... How, how, how? No, don't tell aren't me. they famous for being such a hardy creature that yeah, can, you know, sheep are fragile, I think, aren't they? And but... Eat and, but no, maybe it's just the British domestic goat. Okay, but they are. But like a sturdy mountain goat might be. Yeah, maybe that's fine. Yeah, but the goats I was taking care of. Did you kill a goat? So what you is mean what you're is us? remove the humans and place them on a perpendicular mountain and they're fine. Place the humans in any scenario and the goat, the goat is gets now worse. fragile. We fuck yeah. them up. Yeah, yeah. Everything I did that day carried with it the risk of killing the goats. Yes. It was like you've got to delouse them, but don't delouse them too much, otherwise they'll get into their bloodstream and they'll die. Don't touch their horns, otherwise their horns can break off and then bacteria what? gets into their into their <laughs> horn holes and then they die. Seriously, it was... Uh... No, again, I think you're looking at this from the wrong way. Mm. You're saying that the goat is fragile. It may well be that you are just highly poisonous. <laughs> that, it's... Yeah, your toxicity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. Maybe that's it. But so sorry. to the devil of daughter, you sorry, like, the you like daughter. a book, but, I mean, it is... It's a flawed... There's a great thing that, oddly enough, it's used for... There used to be these these books that came out, you know, for children just telling them about different things. And one called Facts About Making a Feature Film, or it's Facts About a Feature Film. And it gives you bit by bit how they make a feature film. But they used The Devil a Daughter <laughs> as the illustration for it. I've okay. still got the book. Oh, um, God, can I see it? It's, it's very easy to pick up. I think you can get it for, for next to nothing. It's not a kind of collectible thing, but it's just this weird... And then the boom operator does this. And then Christopher Lee sacrifices the lady. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, yeah, it's a really... Because, I mean, the main problem with that film, it's the last of the Hammer... Uh, well, it's the it's last of the Hammer Horrors. Song. I think Lady yeah. Vanishes is actually the last of their, um, uh, you know, odd, odd feature. But it's, um, it, it ends terribly. They basically ran out, as far as I remember, the, there's, there's uh, right, this is the, the alert for you, spoiler alert, <laughs> but it's not a spoiler because it's shit, right? In fact, <laughs> did we talk about this? Trent, did we talk about this with Jeremy Dyson the other day? Have we linked with everything linking? We might have done. But yeah, it just ends with, after all this big build-up, with Christopher Lee and about to, you know, slaughter and that then now we're going to have the new devil child, Richard Widnock goes, oh, do you know what I didn't do? I didn't just throw a stone at him. Why don't I try that? Ow, oh, I'm dead. He's trapped a stone at me. 
says, Storm builds. Satan is nearly here. Check a stone. Allergic to pebbles. Oh, yeah. bollocks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And he just vanishes, doesn't he? Yeah. And that's that's it. Gone. He's gone. Everything's fine. Wheatley and Christopher Lee both really hated it and suggested that uh, they refill. I think, what was the plan? Another ending where uh, he tries to pursue Margaret. Christopher Lee tries to pursue them both and, and uh, with Mark across the astral plane. And then he can't get through and he falls back out of the circle of blood in like a, uh, in the, the attitude of crucifixion. And it's all sort of, you know, there he is with his arms spread out outside the, outside the circle of blood. And they were really pushing for that. And uh, no, just producers were like, no, the f- conked on the head with a piece of stone. That's what we want. But it has, I'm so, I, I, I might be wrong with it. Someone look this up and find, I mean, not you now, Trent, but anyone who's listening, because there seems to be a lot of different stuff. Because in one way, it is, I think, a better film than a lot of the previous, where Hammer were kind of going downhill and it doesn't look like those Hammer films, which were just all kind of maidens going, I'm just in some lace. Hello, I'm a lesbian <laughs> vampire. Let's have a bath. You know, it, it has a different, I mean, admittedly, it does have, Possibly Some dangerously young <laughs> Natasha mm. Kinsky, who should, yeah, there's various things there which are, um, but it has a different, you know, and it has an, a Denim Elliott's in it and Anthony Valentine yeah. and Honor Blackman, yeah. and it's, it's a, as well as Richard Widmark and Christopher Lee. So it's this kind of great, and it has some very unpleasant, in, in terms, like the bit where the woman has her legs tied together to make sure that the baby is, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's visceral. So, yeah, I would agree. I would say... But you think the book's OK, but... book's just... all right. Huge changes, because originally Verney is... Um, isn't he like an MI5 guy in the book, if memory serves? And in the film, he's Wheatley, basically, isn't he? He's an occult novelist. Mm. Um, and Molly Fountain becomes his agent, rather, because she's an occult novelist in the book, which is, and has a much more meaty role. Um, yeah, I just... Just know. It's interesting. I was talking to someone who said that because, you know, Wheatley was this huge bestseller mm. and I think only outsold by Agatha Christie. Um, but we think of Agatha Christie as so much more uh, kind of inherent to literature and culture. And they were saying it's because look at all the brilliant uh, adaptations of, of Agatha Christie there have been. She's, she's been adapted for the screen so many times and like big and small screen. And Wheatley never, the same thing never quite happened for Dennis Wheatley. For all that there's... Two variable Hammer horror films. There, is that it? Is there, are there any other weekly there, adaptations? There are. There was so I think there was a very early film, one of the spy ones, not Salas, something else, with oh, with uh, James Mason in it. God, what was that oh. called? It'll come to. It's me. not called something like The Man in Grey or the. It's not a Carol Reed Ooh, movie, is it? Don't, I don't think so. I'm not positive. See, there's I'm another. In terms of just briefly mentioned Carol Reed, in terms of films that are brilliant adaptations of an author's work mm. the fallen idol and the third man oh, uh, and and then odd man out which i can't remember who's originally wrote the, the novel of odd man out but which is with james mason which is just such a carol reed had an ability mm. to create a mood which is carries on from the mood because the fallen idol have you seen the fallen no, idol I don't think I have. such a great film it's uh, ralph richardson stars in it and uh it's only it's, it's a short story graham green short story it's, it's called the basement room and it twists what the twist of the... the it, it, it basically turns upside down okay. what hangs over that. I won't, I won't give it away. I think it is 
it's probably one of my favourite films of all time, and it is mag. You'd love it as well because it's it's in nineteen forties London, and you have all of those beautiful scenes where, uh, like, going around London Zoo and seeing it in the nineteen forties, mm. giving this different sense of yeah, it's brilliant. Sorry, the, um, so yeah, there, there was a James Mason. Yeah, yeah. So there was a James Mason one, and then. Oh, it's popped up on the screen. Oh, the Macintosh, the Macintosh man. That's interesting. That's a Paul Newman film as well, isn't it? I think. I, I mean, I feel like it wasn't Macintosh man. I think I'd remember that. God, that's quite late. That's sixties. Yeah, that's no, no, 60s. it, it was really, it was early. I feel like it was before the Hammer, the Hammer ones. Um, and they tried because Dennis Wheatley gave all the rights to Christopher Lee, just sort of like you can have the rights to all the occult ones if you can convince studios to make them. And they got quite far, I think, with the. Uh, haunting of Toby Jug. Right. They try, they hammer trying to do that, and then it sort of floundered in production. It didn't work out. That was adapted recently, I remember as well. Did you watch that at the BBC for? No. I wasn't. Yeah, it was fine. But, do you have a favourite author where you think, in terms of, I mean, obviously M. R. James has been lots of interesting adaptations, and uh, but is, is there someone that you think that the, the transition of the mood that can be created? in your mind reading the book, has been... I mean, we mentioned something like Don't Look Now, which I think does effectively, mm. and, and even broadens out, in fact, on the kind of the paranoia and the strangeness. It's interesting. I can think of loads of people where it hasn't happened. <laughs> Who are the I ones can... that you go, no, go to the book, go to the book? <laughs> well, Dennis Wheatley, actually, for all that he's horribly racist, I think that nothing has ever been convincingly done. Can I show you the pitch docs? Oh yeah, you've got I was this sent, stuff that you. you that's what yeah. I'm leading up to here. So we got the archive. Sorry, Let us yeah. reveal the archive. Yes. So I, where did these come from then? The, so man in Garrick. The man in Garrick. Man in the Garrick sent me. Uh, I don't the know. Title of your play. I have no idea if he wants to be named, but he said he. Yeah, he sent me this. This file. Is he a is he director, a writer, a? He's a writer. Yeah, he's. I a, met Robert Day there. He made Vampire Circus. Oh, big night out. <laughs> and the two things in it that are most interesting to my mind are, for all of our saying he never kind of made it to the big screen properly, well, there were two times they tried to make a TV series. And this is Wheatley's own pitch for uh, Salast, a Salast series, like a spy. It's basically The Saint. <laughs> But with but with uh, but Dennis Wheatley oh, doing it's it. So beautiful. We must make sure we get a, just. It's c- signed at the back as well, yeah. But it's it's the f- the typing font. Yeah, yeah. It's the the sense of the keys and then the the actual the force required. Yeah. It also contains some killer lines. There's some excellent. There's some pure Wheatley uh, sexism and racism in that. Pitch. And in fact, it's called Salust. <laughs> Lust. Gregory Salas is a lean, active, good-looking man of slightly satanic appearance in his early 40s. He speaks several languages and his wartime activities have given him great experience as a secret agent. More recently, he has given the British government and the NATO powers cause to regard him with distrust. And he set up openly, what's it, yes, set up openly in Beirut an inquiry and action agency. So it's not he based on Salas. always lived well. <laughs> it's not based on Salas, author of the de Gerthine War. It's based, the character is based on Gordon that I mentioned earlier. All right. And I believe Ian Fleming has said that it's from Salas Comes Bond. Yeah. But don't quote me, but I think yeah. that's a thing. Oh, I can take a leave, Fleming. I, I can say take or leave, leave, I mean, leave. Really leave. He yeah. was involved in some occult stuff at school, I remember reading. Doubtless. Doubtless. Is this just a big, big public schoolboy thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where um, people don't take him 
they take him far more seriously than he was. Yeah. Um, because, and and equally, I think they undertake seriously Agatha Christie because she produces so many more books um, and they are so infinitely adaptable. They're so mm. incredibly inventive. People go, oh, well, they're just like crossword puzzles. You're like, J- the James Bond novels are basically uh, the, the parade of brand names and slightly embarrassing male vanity and yet somehow we've decided to make them culturally significant yeah. and she's chocolate boxy even though she's perfectly happy to have people murdering children children murdering people etc etc yeah. um, she is nowhere near as cuddly as people give her credit for I do love her and it's interesting for I suppose yeah do you think there is still because she because she sold well there is still a kind of or do you think it's entirely uh, an issue of, of sexism I think there's I think you're probably right there is an element of being too because the only person I can think of who has a parallel example of having been incredibly prolific, incredibly good, and not really being taken seriously for a very different reason, and that's Woodhouse. Mm. And obviously people, I think, have problems with Woodhouse because they decided to see his um, behaviour during the Second World War as collaboration, which uh, it seems to me an overly strong reading of Mm. a man who's in the wrong place at the right time and had a particular kind of cleverness and facility, but in many ways was actually not very bright Mm. um, and not very good at dealing with politics and things like that I don't excuse him um, or at least I'm not trying to excuse him but I I struggle to see him as a as Lord Haw Haw yeah. um, but I think because of that people have and because he wrote so much and because comedy is and we've talked about this a thousand times um, because comedy is so difficult but he made it look so easy people always just go oh well he's just funny though isn't he as though anyone mm. can just be funny yeah. but he's pretty celebrated now I think he's been I mean people like Francis Ween have really reclaimed well. him and Robert McCrum and people like yeah. that have really worked at the reclaiming and I think for, more so for Christie than before but if you go to her house in Devon which is a national trust place they they don't really celebrate that it was hers any more than mm. the next generation of the, the Christie family who... And it's like, you know, she was sort of the, the good one. Not in a mean way. Yeah. Well done, everybody else. But she was sort of the... She was the best one of you. It's, you know, it, I find it, it... What's really interesting, of course, is that the National Trust shop is wall-to-wall Christie adaptation DVDs and books and things. Yeah. Well, the people in commerce realise what the point is of, of having yeah. Christie's name attached to here. But the people who have the house, it's almost like they're a bit shamefaced about her you really shouldn't be she's an astonishing British institution if there is such a thing it's her how can you how can we celebrate James Bond and you know the Olympic opening ceremony and not celebrate Christie she's an absolute triumph I'd have loved to see a murder themed opening ceremony (laughs) the closing ceremony would have been fine maybe they could do it for the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham not that she sets one in Birmingham I don't think but PG Woodhouse and Dennis Wheatley went to school together bonus like, facts uh, bonus facts and the I, I wish I can remember the name of their headmaster um, but he he was sort of this like Victorian relic uh, who <laughs> PG Woodhouse did really well at cricket one day and he was like well that was a that was a fine innings Woodhouse but don't forget we all die in the end <laughs> <laughs> any success <laughs> temper it guys now let's we, we've reached the end. So it is Halloween. Uh, if anyone's listened to it on the day this has come out, it is Halloween. Uh, a book and a film uh, for people to enjoy this evening. What would you choose? I have to admit, I may well be watching Candyman tonight, which I haven't watched for a very oh, long too time. Too many books for me. <laughs> and uh, and I've, I have such a great Philip Glass soundtrack, and I, I probably haven't watched it for twenty five years, and I just bought that again. So I'm probably going to go with Candyman. Mm, that's a perfectly good choice. Um, and I probably will, as usual, read an M.R. James. That's yes. Very stereotypical like that. <laughs> um, Natalie? 
Mm, Film-wise, it follows the only recent horror film to give me the actual wig. Um, as a regular user of the park, as you know, I am still traumatised by seeing somebody in white walking towards me from an unexpected <laughs> direction. <laughs> so, yes, definitely it follows. And book-wise, I think... I might go back to Shirley Jackson, who we were talking about earlier, but I think I might go short story because I'm not going to have loads of time, so I'm going to go for the lottery. Good it's work. It's so good. It's just so good, and it's so concise and, you know, just the perfect short story. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Am I? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to go And that is with. available now. It's a Penguin modern classic. As, as well. it should be. So it's, yes. Nice. Uh, it's gonna... hard. I think it's not a horror film, really, but I really enjoy it. Uh, the Devil and Daniel Webster. Have you seen it? Oh, that gets not my for vote. Years. That gets my vote for my favourite representation of the devil is Walter Houston in yeah. that. Oh, he's brilliant. He's really brilliant. And he's also doing a new kind of acting, and everyone else is doing old acting. And Walter Houston's That's there. That's a fascinating like, thing. You see that sometimes yeah. when Montgomery Clift's in films. Mm. Red River being a good example with John Wayne, you know. The and and story? Oh, that's a hard one. Hmm. Do love an M. I mean, I recently re repurchased a really beautiful bound edition of Mr. James. No, actually, you know what? I'm going to go back to First Principles. I think you should go back and read some Poe. Oh, that's a good idea. Lovely Poe. Still, th- Love that in Poe. terms of modern, in terms of reading something and going, wow, this still carries with it mm. a tremendous amount of kind of punch and is still beautifully disturbing. Very good choice. Um, thank you very much for listening to our Halloween. We did. We barely went through. You brought the archive in your bag. And we haven't done, we'll do that again then. <laughs> and uh, we'll return that. Thank you very much uh, uh, for joining us, Natalie and Anna. And uh, if you go to our website, if you go to cosmicshambles.com, you can find out lots of other things that we've done. Uh, not merely book shambles podcasts, other podcasts, science podcasts. And we also now have uh, most of the people who used to write for the uh, Guardian Science uh, blogs are now writing for Cosmic Shambles. Uh, and we're trying to say, so if you can support us for our Patreon because we don't have quite the same model as Guardian, but we want to try and you know make sure that we can finance because uh, it seems a good time for getting evidence-based thinking out there. Uh, so if you can uh, support us with that, and hopefully Josie will be back with us soon. And goodbye. Thank you for listening. Patreon.com/slash/bookshambles to support the show and get lots of. Uh, rewards on there including extended episodes there's a 15 minute extended version of this chat in which you can find out what they all think of Jacob's Ladder and Seven amongst many other things thank you for listening I think I've already said that can't remember it was 90 seconds ago at this point it's been a very long week but we'll be back next week which will be another of our episodes we recorded at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and our guest will be none other than Neil Gaiman. Have a great week. We will see a lot of you at King's Place on November 1st, I imagine. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 